Hello, welcome to Socialist Think Tank. We sat down with Valerie Jameson from Talk Socialism to, you guessed it, talk about socialism. Hello and welcome to Socialist Think Tank. Today we are speaking to Valerie Jameson from Talk Socialism. Hello, Valerie. Hi. Hi. How are you? Very well. Very well. Excellent. So I'm just going to go straight in there with the big question. What is socialism? Um, well, I probably could only answer what is socialism to me because, it, it, you know, it's, it's a wide ranging subject and I'm sure it means lots of things to different people. For me, socialism means community. I think it is very heart of it. It's about community. So I tend to think of it in terms of you have everybody has their own communities from a very micro level it's your own home with the people who live in your home and then it starts to spread out wider to your family and friends your street your town your suburb your city your region the country that you live in and beyond to me socialism is taking all the principles that people apply in their own family and around their friends and perhaps even their neighbours and just spreading it wider so that all of those things where you feel that you want to share things that you want to help people um, that perhaps are not as fortunate as yourself that you want to um, have joined up back budgets and all the rest of it all of that from that small micro level spreads out so that we as a community end up being much bigger so that we support each other and we help each other one of the things that's always really surprised me in life in a way is that when we have children and we are the children are in their classes and you're with children in your own home we tell children and teach children to share and we do that all the time if children have got you know you've got your child's got one toy um, and the child beside them's got none or your child's got three and the child besides only got one you actually say to your child to share but some point as we get older people tend to stop doing that less and less with the people in our society so to me socialism is around having that wider community where we share things and it's for the benefit of us all. That is such a lovely way of describing it. And you'd be surprised that so many people do speak about community when they're talking about socialism. Um, so what is it, like? when did you realise that you personally were a socialist? Is there any aspect of your life that made you realise or has it always been there? It's always been, I can't remember a time when I didn't feel that I was supportive of the principles of socialism. My mum and dad, I would describe them as socialists, but they certainly weren't active ones. They weren't a member of any political party. They weren't activists. Um, the types of jobs they do, I'm not even certain they were in unions, but they supported the principles of socialism. So I was brought up to believe that everybody was equal that everybody had a right to education, a right to free healthcare, that everybody should have a decent standard of living. 
um, and in unions. My dad, although I don't know whether he was able to be in a union, the type of job he did, but he was certainly very supportive of unions. And so I was brought up in that environment. And I also was brought up um, in terms of upward mobility, I think. My grandparents all lived in council houses um, on very low incomes. But my mum and dad were able to buy their own house. They were very keen on me becoming educated to degree level. And so I think all of those things made me grateful for what I had and also have those principles. And so I can't remember a time when I didn't. I can remember even being at school talking to people about socialism. Even if I didn't use those terms for it, even when I didn't use the words for it, I think I always believed in it. Always. So where did you go to school? Where did you grow up? I went to Benfield School in Walkergate. And did you feel like when you were growing up there, there were kind of, did the community have socialist principles or were you alone voice in this or did, it, or did that just seem to be the way things were? I think, I think in many respects, society was a bit more socialist back then. I think because of the extensive um, membership of unions, really. But if ever, I mean, I can remember in the sixth form at school, people definitely sort of having me as the, you know, the political person. And I can remember in, I mean, jo in a jokey way, everybody was very pleasant about it. But I think I was considered to be a bit amusing to them. Um, and at one point I had gone into the sixth form room and somebody had put a sign up beside where we used to think saying, commie, go home. So I think I was just always regarded as that kind of person who was sort of banging those ideas. So if I was going to say, did, did everybody have those ideas? No, they didn't have the ideas really. Um, I don't think they did, but um, I think it's less, less socialist now in many respects, I think. I think just the the demise in membership of the unions has had a big effect, I think. A big effect. So you mentioned that someone said to you, commie go home. That's quite a popular um, misconception is that socialism and communism, certainly Soviet Union communism, are the same things. For you, what, what's the difference? Is there a difference between those? Yeah, I think there is. And I think in America, it is massively the case, isn't it, that they cannot get their heads around the word socialism. To them, communism and socialism is the same thing. I would say it's the different about, it's about outcomes and opportunities. So for me, communism is about equal outcomes for everybody whereas socialism is more about equal opportunities so you give everybody the basics in life but within that you, there are differences between people and what types of jobs they do and how much they earn and that some people will have greater you know aspirations than others and some people want different kinds of lifestyle um, whereas communism tends to focus on the equality of outcomes so that it doesn't matter what you do, you, every, everybody has exactly the same. Was, um, was communism in the, social, in, in the Soviet Union, was that, was that a true form of communism, do you think? Or 
was something else going on there. Is that I'm not sure. Well, I, do, I would certainly wouldn't describe myself as an, you know, an expert in communism in Russia, but I'm not sure there is any, is there a purest form of communism? Because these things are all ideas, aren't they, at the root of it. So I'm not sure there ever has been an absolute pure form of communism in the same way as you know the Tories would talk about free markets and we'll have libertarians talking about free markets there is no such thing as a free market because to have a free market you have to have absolute ability to to compete in that market and not everybody will have that ability to compete it would be impossible to have um, so there's no such thing as a free market anyway I mean, all forms, whether it's, you know, democratic governments, communism, socialism, whatever it is, they're always amended in some way, aren't they? They're always interpreted in some way, wherever they may be. So I'm not sure we ever have had the purest form of communism. And maybe in that utopia, you know, if you had a society where it absolutely was every single person had an equal opportunity there was an equality of outcome but that everybody had sufficient for their needs maybe the outcome of that would be very good because if everybody felt their needs were being met there's no way that people perhaps feel that they're not you know achieving what they want to achieve but i don't think we've ever had that really most communist countries there's elements of poverty isn't there you, so as soon as you have poverty then you have people wanting to aspire to more than that so that will always you know have some level of inequality i guess in society thanks for that um so you were involved with a project called talk socialism yeah what's that about yeah well talk socialism is uh, it's a political education group um it started quite a number of years ago and the purpose of talk socialism was definitely to get people talking and thinking about socialist politics and thinking about them in a different way but i think what sets us aside from many of because there's an awful lot of socialist organizations and um, what sets us aside is we try to make it really accessible and fun so that we we don't have a lot of things where we're sitting lecturing to people we are very much about people taking part so if we have events if we have book clubs whatever it is is that everybody has to take part we often do fun things to make people's brains get into gear. So we might have a quiz, we might have a game of some kind, we'll play role playing. So we do all of that to get people to think about politics. And then also because we're political education, we also try to provide training to people. So if you think what the purpose of talk socialism is to try and not only get people to think about what being a socialist is and to think about socialist policies, but then to enable them to transfer that into activism so that something positive comes out of it. It's not just people talking about, we actually do things with that. So within that, we also have training events, things like um, behavioral techniques, things like persuasion techniques. How do you talk to somebody about a socialist principle? 
and actually make it a, a, a really meaningful conversation. Um, door knocking techniques, when people are going out door knocking. So it's to kind of get people engaged within socialism, make it fun so they are interested, and then help them to become activists. So what sort of people come to you to ask for that kind of training? Actually, it's all sorts of different people. We have, um, we sometimes work with local kind of uh, left-wing organisations in the northeast who might come to us and say, can you provide a particular course? And we have done that before where people have said, you know, can you provide something on door knocking or can you provide something about um, perhaps becoming an officer in your CLP, Labour CLP? So we do that, but we also have, because we run events that are fun, we get a lot of people who just come along and then become interested. And then from that, they're keen to know what to do. If you, if you give somebody some motivation to believe that actually we can change society, if we all want to, we can do it. I mean, a socialist society is better for everybody. It's not just going to be the socialists that benefit. And it's hard sometimes, I think, for people to believe when they're very focused on getting a house and their car and all of those things that they think, well, how could I possibly be happier because Joe Bloggs down the road was able to get his hip operation. But a happy society affects us all. And when we talk to people about socialist principles and they become excited by them, they tend to want to do positive things around that. They want to tell people about it. They want to help to get a socialist government in place. They want to become active. And so then we would talk to them about what kinds of things do you want then? What do you feel that you want to do? And a lot of our events, we might not call them training events, but a lot of the events would be around just talking through some of the concepts with them, doing some role playing with them uh, in a sort of fun, safe environment. And from that, people feel empowered. Um, they feel as if they've got some confidence then to become active. And then, of course, networking as well so that people can become part of, you know, a, a movement in a group where they're safe within that and they're wanting to go out and, and do things together as a team kind of thing. I'm really interested in, in something you said there um, and it's, it prompted me to ask this question. Do you think people are at their core, are they good? Yes. I don't know whether there's some neutrality to it, but I think it, it, if you are thinking about just from a very, very young age, I think children do need to be taught right from wrong, generally. But I think within a very, I think they want to be good. I, I think they're looking for somebody to help them be good, really. I do, I have always believed that deep down people do want to do the right thing. And then I think if once people do things, that make them feel properly good inside. So not just the excitement that you might get buying a new car, but something inside that makes them feel good about themselves and something that they did. 
they want to do that more. So I think it's almost just showing people how wonderful it is when you get that feeling of doing something good in your community, trying to get the system changed to one that benefits everybody. And once they get that feeling, I think people don't look back. I think they want more of it once they get it. It's such a, that's such a lovely thing to say and it's a, it's a really nice way to think of the world, isn't it? And I often wonder why it is that, um, that if we have such good faith in people as socialists, and I think a lot of people share that good faith in humanity and that actually people deep down are really, really good. Recently, we've seen that that hasn't translated and, you know, you would think that people who thought someone believed in them would want that person to be in charge, you know, because I believe in you, I can help you, I want what's best for you. And yet that doesn't seem to be what's, what, what people care about at the moment. That doesn't seem to be certainly uh, in, the, in the way people are voting, that doesn't seem to be what's happening. So do you have any ideas around why that might be? I think one of the things, human beings, I do honestly think they want to be good, but I think they can also be very fearful. And I think that's the thing that sometimes, you know, the media and people who are wanting power for themselves and money for themselves tap into. So the people who are sitting at home, and it is, it's an inconvenient truth in a way, the people who are sitting at home who voted for Brexit, who perhaps sometimes are even racist, those people, I think, sometimes really do want to be good but they're very fearful so they're fearful that their life is going to change their society is going to change they're fearful that they won't be able to fit in in the same way anymore you hear people all the time saying you know we want to take britain back we want to take england back as if somehow we lost it but of course we didn't lose it but I think people are fearful that somehow it will slip away and then they won't fit into it. And unfortunately, <clears throat> I think we've got a problem now that the media has such an invasive position in our society that it's difficult to see how we would ever have a happy equal society while we still have papers like the daily mail spouting such hideous hateful headlines and so i think what happens is at the core of people i do i do believe they're good but i think they are corruptible so unfortunately outside influences sometimes corrupt people playing on their fear and their insecurities to make them feel as if somehow they have something to lose, something bad's going to happen. And that leads them then to make a decision or to have a view that perhaps otherwise they wouldn't have. I mean, I do sometimes wonder if we had all of the media within our society, on TV and in newspapers, actually just promoting a basis of, of happiness and equality and caring for each other, and supporting each other and what the society would look like then. I mean, I think it would be absolutely transformative. 
because I think people do want to have that. They do want to care about their neighbours. They do want to be happy in their society. But I think, unfortunately, they also believe the things that they're told, and that makes them fearful. And most horrible emotions, I think, come from a basis of fear, whether that's anger or hatred, it comes from a, a basis of fear, I think. So why do you think it is that the media um, want to portray like socialism and you know a fair society in such a way? What have the media got to gain from it? Well, the media has got to gain the support of their friends in a way. I mean, most of the media is owned by billionaires, isn't it? It's owned by extremely wealthy people. Those wealthy people feel that they have something to lose from socialism because in a way, I think they believe that they will lose large amounts of cash and power. I think, as you said before, I think sometimes they kind of mistake a little bit with communism. Somehow they're going to lose an awful lot with socialism. And they have friends in high places because a lot of them are Tory donors. Um, when we have a Tory government, uh, the Tory government and the media, they're in a kind of partnership, aren't they? So whatever the Tories want to do, they need the media on their side to do it. And the media want the Tories on their side so that they can continue to have the billions and the, the influence that they have. And so it becomes this kind of unholy alliance. It's difficult to see how you can break that. And it's, it's one of the areas that you think this is something I think that socialist organisations really have to address in the coming years is how do we have some kind of opposite force against that media hatred force? Because, you know, the only reason Tony Blair got into power is because he did a deal with Murdoch. There was no way that Tony Blair with a socialist agenda without any of the support from the right-wing media would have been able to get that landslide in his first election. So there is a danger, I think, that if we continue to allow the media to seize that narrative, then we're not going to be able to properly give people the socialist narrative or make them open to the socialist narrative. And so that's the difficulty I think we face. I think everybody believed that social media would really help because they felt that's the media of the people. How could that not help? It's going to give socialists a voice. It's going to give the normal people a voice. I think what they didn't properly, maybe none of us grasped fully, was that actually what was going to happen was those social media sites are owned by huge commercial organisations and their main purpose is making money. So when a, when a government, a company comes along and says, we want to do all of these adverts, we want to put these things on, even pretending who it is that's putting it on, which the Tories have done, then unfortunately the voices get drowned by these large commercial voices. So 
we're seeing, aren't we, a number of advertisers pulling out of Facebook. The question is, would those advertising, that advertising revenue ever get big enough to counteract the amount of money that those people are getting, that those companies are getting from large business and government? So you have people like Cambridge Analytica and large companies like that paid for by God knows who putting all of this information on there and you get some very clever don't you you know algorithms etc that people are using to put things on there and there also doesn't seem to be any kind of regulation around it so people are able to put on downright lies and there's no way of trying to stop that and even when things are put down the damage is taken down the damage is being done so social media hasn't worked in the same way that we thought it would, I think, which means that we're going to have to get more savvy about social media. And I think the latest Labour report about what happened in the, the December election has been talking about that, hasn't it, in terms of we need to try and make sure that we counteract those messages that the Tories are putting on, quite often sometimes on um, accounts that don't even seem to be the Tories, they look like they're something else. And we need some way of counteracting that. So the way I look at it is always, you have all of these people who at their core want to be positive, they want to be good, but they have these constant streams of negativity coming in all of the time through social media, through the newspapers, through the TV screen. And it's trying to make sure that somehow those voices don't drown out their inner voice and our voice saying something else is possible. It is possible to have a society where everybody's happier. That is going to be possible. I mean, I, I have sort of dabbled a little bit in Buddhism over the years. And I was lucky enough to go to a country called Bhutan a few years ago and sit and sit with Buddhist nuns and Buddhist monks and it was a fascinating experience and at one point I sat with this Buddhist nun and the question was given to her do you pray for people in your family say for example a nephew to pass an exam and she shook her head vehemently no you pray for everyone you pray for absolutely everyone. You would never pray for one individual person. And I was really moved by that because I thought, imagine what a society would be like if you felt that the, whatever happened to a child in Syria was as important as what ha would happen to your child, that you wanted the same outcome for them and the difference that would make in the world. And I do think that people deep down want that, they want to have that sort of happy society, but it's just, it's very difficult when they're constantly being fed negative things in the press or constantly every day. I think that's a really, really good point and something I wouldn't really have thought of bringing up with the idea that if everyone in the world was happy, there wouldn't be a need for the competition and the wars and, and all of, all of the things that make us unhappy and all the things that drive misery you know if everyone was happy and content then you know the world would be a better place it's quite mm -hmm. a utopian view of the world um but i do think that sometimes people um start to 
people start to defend things that are quite unusual. So lately we had, uh, in the 2019 election, we had people talking about billionaires. And a lot of people were saying um, they were, you know, well, those billionaires have earned that money. They deserve it. And there were a lot of um, very much, like, not people who have a lot of money saying they've earned that money. They deserve it. Why would you want to take that away from them? That's very me. So where do, where do those kind of defensive defensive billionaires come from? It's very weird, isn't it? I can remember having a discussion with somebody on Twitter, I think it was. Um, he was saying something about Ant and Deck and how fantastic Ant and Deck were. Now, I, I like a bit of Ant and Deck, I have to say. It. You know, our local Geordie lads, I'm certainly not against them. But he was talking something about their money that they earned in a very positive way. And I said to him, it's a shame that they avoid tax, which undoubtedly they do. They use offshore tax accounts to avoid paying tax. Um, and I believe that to be true. And, you know, I'm going to say allegedly, <laughs> kids have just watched and goes, I've never done that. But I'm having this discussion with this uh, guy, and when I mentioned about perhaps them um, avoiding tax, he said, well, why should they have to pay tax? And exactly as you're saying, well, they've earned it. Why should they have to pay tax? And I was saying to him, well, don't you pay tax? Well, yes. Can you avoid it? Um, you do, you do realise that for every pound that anybody doesn't pay, whether that's a celebrity, whatever else, you have to pay for that. You're either going to have to pay for it by putting that pound back into that account, or you're going to have to have a lower level of public service because those people don't pay their taxes. And it's the same for the billionaires. I don't think anybody would say, I mean, there would be actually even socialists, I think, would say if everybody is properly paying their fair share of tax, good luck to them. So if you have a billionaire who is genuinely paying their required amount of tax in a fair way, then people might go, well, Okay, they are used, and, and as long as they're paying their staff well, and as long as they're treating people well and they're doing it ethically, the problem that we have is the billionaires don't tend to pay their fair share of taxes. So you have companies where individuals are paying quite a large percentage of their tax of their money in tax, and the billionaires overall are paying less percentage than somebody who's earning a small amount. How do you stop people having that view? That is a really weird thing because you would think it would be automatic, wouldn't it? That people go, well, I, why should I pay? And they're not paying. But I think this comes from a historic thing, doesn't it, where tax was bad. And, you know, we always used to hail people who avoided paying tax. You know, it's a great thing. Oh, you got out your taxes. I hate paying taxes. Why should oh, we don't want to pay taxes? And I think what's happened is we've never in this country, and I think some of the Scandinavian countries do this much better, we've never really properly made the connection in people's minds between tax and public services. I just don't think we've done it. 
So I think people think of this tax going into this bucket somewhere and somehow they don't get very much for it. And it's these wasteful people over here. And that's made worse by having successive governments that people don't trust. I think if we had a trustworthy government that was genuinely using the tax for good things, that they could see the connection into the public services, perhaps that's the moment that they would turn around and go, hang on a minute, if you paid that, we could have free prescriptions. My nan could get our operation quicker. And at the moment, we just don't have people making that connection. But we do need to make sure that people understand that theoretically, all of the taxes go to benefit the country. So some countries do that very well. As I say, the Scandinavian countries do that very well, quite high levels of taxation, but you get a lot for your money. And the people are aware of that and they're happy with that. Whereas we have that we've been taught over the years, tax is bad. And before elections, we'd often used to have tax cuts, wouldn't we? Because that was how you got votes. I mean, certainly in my youth, it used to always be, they'd always give a tax cut before the election. That seems to have, have stopped a little bit now, but they always used to give a tax cut. Um, and it's, it was always this culture of the less tax you pay, the better, more money in your pocket. And the, I think the, the battle for us in a way is to try and show people that it's no benefit having that money in your pocket if you're going to have to spend it on the public services that you didn't have in the first place. That choice is no choice at all. If we have a private healthcare system like we have in America, like we have in America, it's no choice to be paying low tax to then not be able to pay for your operation and to have to go bankrupt. That's no choice at all. And so that actually paying a decent amount of tax, as long as it's used for the benefit of all in public services, is actually a good thing. And once you can get to that point, I think then you can get to the point where it's, you know, people would then resent the billionaires for not doing it. But at the moment, it's almost like they're going to waste my money. So why the hell would, you know, if I had the choice, I wouldn't be paying. So good luck to him over there or her over there who's paying no taxes at all. Because I would try and get away with it. It's just a lack of trust, I think, in society and the government. If we could get rid of that, get a good socialist government in place. I think we could work on these things. It's this catch-22 thing, isn't it? That you can't get the socialist government while people have this mistrust, but while people, you can't get the socialist. So it's just this constant, you know, vicious circle that you have to try somehow to just push something through some point of that circle that you can get into it. As you were saying that, all I could think about was childhood stories of Robin Hood. And like, I watch the cartoon version with my kids all the time. And, um, but the idea there is that there's this evil king that's stealing everyone's money and charging too much, much tax. And that was in the time of feudalism. It's a totally different yeah. system. But I think that's like that early idea of tax being unjust might have a, an effect on people's consciousness. Um, I was wondering, do you think that the sheer vastness of numbers makes it very difficult for people 
to understand how much a billion is. And you referenced maybe people would think, well, you know, if, even if they're a billionaire, they pay the fair share of taxes. Is it possible to earn a billion? And, um, you know, how <laughs> is it possible to even spend a billion on anything? Is it of any value to have billionaires? Yeah, it's a strange, I mean, most, I think quite a few billionaires, it's not cash, isn't it? It's what they own. So in some respects, I think people kind of get around that because there isn't an awful, I mean, there are billionaires in the world who genuinely have cash, but I would say the majority of billionaires, it's what they own, the value of what they own. But I think you're absolutely right. It's very hard to get their heads around large figures. And I used to work in the civil service and I used to work on large projects, hundreds of millions of pounds. And actually, it, it is quite hard to get your head around large numbers, you know, that you, it is, you know, you have to be constantly reminding yourself, this is a vast sum of money, really. And you're right, it is difficult. I think sometimes it's better for people to try and understand that money in real things. So I think it works better for people when you say this is X number of doctors each year, X number of nurses. When that billionaire avoided that tax, that would have meant that we could have had free prescriptions for the next five years. It could have meant that we could have, you know, had uh, a, a thousand more nurses in every city. And I think maybe that's something that people can get their heads around better. Um, it is just very difficult, isn't it? It's difficult even getting to people to give them information because, you know, I, I can remember people, people sometimes used to say to me, why hasn't Jeremy Corbyn been on the TV more? Why hasn't Jeremy Corbyn sort of done X, Y, and Z? Why, why is he? And you think, well, the first problem for Jeremy Corbyn is getting on the TV in the first place. It's actually getting access to the media. The last thing the media want is to have somebody like Jeremy Corbyn giving them information that people might actually listen to and think, oh, wow, you know, yeah, that would be good. And I think that's what happened in 2017, isn't it? Because prior to the election, Jeremy Corbyn could hardly get the licking of a dog on the media. But when it comes to election time, the BBC is forced to allow Jeremy Corbyn on the TV to have his say and we could see week on week how those figures were going up how the approval ratings are going up week on week as he gets an opportunity to actually explain what he's trying to do to people and putting it in a way that people can understand so I think that's part of the problem is just getting the message to people and then and, the, and then as you say it's trying to put it into terms that people would be able to understand in their world so as you say it's it's no good talking about you know philip green having three yachts i don't think people can even get their heads around having three yachts and the sheer scale of the yachts and how that how much that cost I don't think they'd even get their heads around it because it's so outside of our normal experience, isn't it? So I think you do kind of have to speak to people 
in terms that of, of how it's going to affect them something that's accessible to them something that's going to make a difference to their life but within that it's also it's a, one of these weird things that sometimes concepts can affect them where it's not really going to affect their lives, but somehow they buy into it. And I think Brexit was a bit like that in this region in the Northeast. So I would sometimes be saying to people, so how is your life individually going to change once we've gone through Brexit? How is it going to change you personally? And nobody can ever, nobody could ever answer that question. They would say, generalist terms of you know sovereignty or that actually if you even asked a lot of people what does sovereignty mean they would probably i would struggle to say exactly what sovereignty is so i think that's sometimes people can be taken with an idea so what we need to do is to make sure that we give them ideas that are exciting too that there are things that are positive um couple of years ago I once spoke to somebody who'd worked on political campaigns who said to me that when somebody is listening to you doing a campaign in a room they won't remember anything that you've said what they'll remember is how they felt when they left the room and I think that's a real truism so it's about being positive and the Brexit campaign again it's a good example of that Unfortunately, the Remain campaign was a really negative one. So you had lots of messages of, you know, damnation if we don't, if we leave the EU. People just felt depressed about that. Then the Brexit campaign comes in and it's all full of taking freedom back, Independence Day, and they're all really positive images for people. So I think what we need to do, and Talk Socialism is absolutely adamant about this everything needs to be positive we need to frame things in a positive way that actually change is possible that we can make things better in society that things can improve and so what we try to make sure is whenever we're doing events anything that we do is that people leave that room knowing that a better future is possible and that they can be part of it and I think the more people that we can have having those feelings, you know, it's back to what I was saying before about a core. People want to be good. They want to have a good, you know, to be a respected member of society and they want to, you know, be part of everything. So if we can give them the empowerment to, to feel positive about that change in the same way that the Brexit campaign did, in terms of making people feel that somehow once we had brought in brexit everything was going to be better everything was going to be better so if we can try to harness that as well with socialist messages i think people will take note of them i think they will join in with it it's just trying to get those messages out that actually socialism will make society fairer better happier and if we can get those messages out, I think we can achieve that. I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot because I absolutely agree with you on positive positivity and um, that has to be the way to do it. So what positive message do you have for the future about how we can create a socialist society? So 
I absolutely agree that we, we should be positive and we need to do those things. So how do we go about that in our communities? I think community is the key. I mean, if you think about, you know, certainly in recent years, I think the unions used to do this. You know, the unions were in their communities in that heyday of, of really high membership of unions. Unions did everything with people, didn't they? They had social events, they were helping with health care, they were doing all sorts of different things. And somehow we, we developed into having a disconnect with the community. Um, so I think the key is going to be going out in the community to show people that actually all of us working together makes a better society. And if then we can then help to get to, just for a better understanding that that can be extrapolated upwards. So that feeling that people get on children in need night even, they feel better about themselves because they give some money to the little kitty they've seen on children in need. So what we need to do is to get right into the communities to show that actually all of these people working together in communities actually can also happen on a bigger scale in society. That you just helping in this place here, you know, actually society can do that, the government can do that as well. Um, one of the things that's happened weirdly, I think, or maybe not weirdly during COVID, is this thing about giving charity to hospitals. So we've had people walking up, to some lovely old guy walking up and down his back garden and we've had, you know, some little old lady was walking up and down stairs and little kitty on the TV this morning and he's disabled kitty and he's walked so far. And those stories are wonderful and it makes people feel good giving that money to that child, to those people. It's trying to get the understanding that actually that's what government should be doing. And you should be feeling good about giving the money to the health service through your taxes. That actually that's what that tax system is there for. And in fact, what you're doing is you're paying twice now because you're now paying. And, and this thing of charity is not just the thing of having some maybe hospice down the road, but these these are hospital charities, that NHS together thing. It's a hospital charity. Why, why aren't we just properly funding the hospitals? Surely that's what we should be doing. Um, so it's trying to, as I say, extrapolate it for people. So for me, the key is getting out into our communities, working alongside people. And I think local councillors have a massive part to play in this. And I think, unfortunately, some councillors are not at the moment. Some of them are great. Some of them are not so good. So we need to get make sure that local councillors are out giving that message all the time, out in the communities. And I think, without doubt, we need to start from the bottom up in terms of giving that positive message. And once I think we can do that, I think we can start to build so that when if we get the stuff at the top right and i don't think we've got that right yet either but to get the messages right the use of social media right if we can get it right at both ends of the spectrum so right on the micro in your community right at the top macro with the leadership of parties 
and getting the right messages out before elections, I think that's the way we can do it. I think it's going to be the only way we can do it. Valerie, you've been absolutely brilliant and that is a really good way to end this interview. I want to thank you really absolutely loads for everything that you do in your community, everything you do for Talk Socialism and uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch again. Yeah, and I would say to everybody, do come along to Talk Socialism events. You know, as we say, really, you'll feel better when you leave because once you can sit down with fellow people who all feel that same way that we can make that change, it just makes you feel better about life. <laughs> it does. Thank you. So Thank you much. so much. <laughs>